0: And welcome to New Books in Anthropology, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Reagan Gillum, a host on the channel, and today I'm talking to Dr. Anthony Russell Jerry, who is the author of the book Blackness in Mexico: Afro-Mexican Recognition and the Production of Citizenship in the Costa Chica, published by University Press of Florida. Dr. Jerry, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great to uh, it's great to talk to you.
0: Yeah, it's really great to talk to you as well. Thank you so much for coming. And I'm so excited to hear about your book and about your work in Afro-Mexico. And so I like to begin the podcast, you know, just hearing from the author. Um, I wondered if you could tell us about yourself and what prompted you to study Afro-Mexico and how you came to write this book.
1: Sure. Um, So I I grew up in in Southern California, uh, San Diego specifically. And and growing up in San Diego as a as a black person, you know, I, I it was sort of obvious to me, right, that uh, that black and Mexican were sort of mutually exclusive, right? To be one meant to not be the other, and and, and vice versa. Um, and and growing up in the environment that I did, there were all kinds of sort of tensions, right, between black folks and Mexican folks, and in, in in the part of southeast uh, San Diego where where I grew up. <clears throat> And so when I when I went to Oaxaca for the first time in 2003 I went to the coast in Oaxaca and I I was blown away right to see to see black folks in in Mexico right and and not only to sort of see folks that I identified as black folks but folks that I I recognized as as potentially right could could be members of my own family right and then to have them recognize me in a particular way Right, it just brought up all kinds of questions for me, um, and and so as an adult, you know, asking this question of how it is that growing up in, in in Southern California, right, it was never brought to my attention, right, that there were there were actually black folks in in Mexico, and and I later realized that part of the answer to that was that that Mexicans in general in the United States or in Mexico, the majority of 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 those folks are unaware, right, that there's black folks. In Mexico, and then you add the the politics, you know, around around, you know, race and ethnicity in in, in the United States into the mix, and then, you know, you've got a you, you've got a whole different thing there, right? And so, the question then for me was was how to talk about this and 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 how to make sense of that, right, for myself, really. And so that's how I begin to 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 start asking questions about blackness in Mexico.
0: Yeah, thank you for that um, introduction. That was fascinating. It reminded me of a story that I had of a student who said to me one time, who was Mexican, and he said, we, we were talking about Black Puerto Ricans, and he said, Puerto Rico sounds like Mexico, except in Mexico, we don't have any Black people. And of course, I had to say, no, no, you do. And it just, right. it just test to your, to what you were saying about usually this, um, this unawareness um, that there are Black people in Mexico. Um, and so, with, with your book, um, it's called Blackness in Mexico. And one of the arguments I see you making is that blackness is like dark matter or what you call uh, the black subject position. And the subject position exists within the nation as a means against which mestizaje and whiteness is articulated. But I wanted to invite you to talk about what the book is about and what you're arguing in the book.
1: Right. So, so I think the the first thing I think is is sort of quite literally right. The the book is about the process of black recognition in Mexico that started, um, I'll say, in the sort of later part of the of the 2000s, right. And so what I wanted to do then was offer an ethnographic example or an ethnographic sort of uh, documentation of that process. I I I feel like I recognize that it as things began to sort of develop and and things then started to change or or evolve sort of rather quickly i realized that that moment right of 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 recognition would soon be forgotten and and the narratives around blackness right would start to change um and and might not include um that moment of of official right government governmental recognition so i think the first part then is 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 really about that right so so as a whole the book is about that process of recognition um but i think more than that the book is really about black value right and the context in which blackness um takes on value right and also then the relationships that produce that value um and then in which that value can be put to work and by whom right so one of the questions that I have, right, is how is it that Black folks are able or restricted, right, from accessing the value that, that we create, that we produce for the rest of the world. And I think this process of recognition in Mexico really sort of uh, uh, allows for that to sort of uh, be clear and obvious, right, the ways in which Black folks can't necessarily access the means of representation for themselves, right, but how other folks are always trying to position, right, Black folks in a way Right, that allows them to extract value or to to uh, to benefit in some way, right? To to balance things, right, as, as black folks are attempting to, to make their own experiences known. <clears throat> so I, I think for, for, for me then those those two things I think would be at sort of the the heart of the book, right? And then another sort of related question or related theme in the book is is sort of how do we think about citizenship? And how do we think about the actual relations around citizenship that then allow us to, to think about how blackness has been incorporated into that, right, into that relationship, so. Mm-hmm.
0: Great, thank you so much for that. And it's so nice to hear the author say what the book is about. There's actually nothing nothing like that. I think it's so helpful for readers, even people who have already read the book. It's It's great to hear the author Describe um, what it's about, and it kind of provides a lens then for other people as they go on to read the book, or then rethink about what they read in the book. Um, and yeah.
1: so I want. Worked... So, okay. so I'm sorry. No, so so since since the book is actually new, I'm really excited to to hear what other people think the book is about, right? And how and how it is that they'll interpret, you know, what what it is that I'm that I'm trying to do in the book, and how they'll relate it to to other uh, to other things. Right. So yeah.
0: Hmm. No, and I'm sure that that will that will that will come in that will come to you soon. Um, <laughs> hopefully, listeners will <laughs> hear this uh, interview also, and possibly, you know, uh, get in touch or you know again think about what they're taking from the book. So uh, I'm sure it'll happen. Yeah. Um, and then I wanted you to situate us in what constitutes Black Mexico. I think that you know, Black Mexico or Afro Mexico tends to get um, like less attention, I think, when we think about the African diaspora um, in general. And so the book is set. You, you did the research in the Costa Chica. Um, can you tell us about the the town and region? Um, about how many Black Mexicans are there in Mexico? Um, how did they arrive there? Just to, just to, context for us to to you know situate us in Afro Mexico.
1: Sure. So 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 with with the, the process of recognition in 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 mexico at least the, the 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 part that i'm outlining in the book that that's a place between or within the states of oaxaca and guerrero um and and i would argue that the costa chica really starts to begin um in in oaxaca around the town of uh rio grande right a little bit outside of of puerto sundio on the on the uh, on the pacific coast and then and then you know pushes way into to the state of guerrero so so a lot of the stuff that i'm drawing on in the book then sort of spans that geography right and, and i think though for those who know and those who exist in in that area right they would call that they, they would see that sort of as a, a geography of blackness in mexico right um but, but there are also other regions right where folks are talking about blackness in mexico and and, and have situated themselves in in other black geographies um and and of course, you know, the state of, of Veracruz would be a place, um, uh the state of Mexico, um, and and a few other states in 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 Mexico. I, I think the the issue though is really talking about those different geographies is somehow connected as one geography. Right. And 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 that has yet to, I think, sort of uh materialize, right? That conversation. I know folks are having the conversation and and they're talking about it, but I don't know that that is sort of solidified yet, right? As as this sort of broader, right? Black geography in Mexico. So the, the work that I'm doing in, in the space that I'm talking about is really the Costa Chica region in, in Oaxaca um, and part of Guerrero. And then I've, I've done a, a lot of the work comes from the Lagunas de Chacahua region um, there in, in Oaxaca as well. And so the the interesting thing about that is it's a place where all of these different sort of Racial and ethnic groups come together, right? You've got these geographic borders that that separate Black Mexicans on the coast from Indigenous, you know, Mexicans on the on the, in the coastal mountains and then surrounding mestizo, mestizo communities. So I think it was a it was a it was the perfect place to do this work. Um, as as far as the number of Black Mexicans go, or let's say, you know, the the preferred term I think by the government is Afro Mexicans um, or Afro descendants, right? I, I think the number from twenty twenty seven is something about two point five million Afro descendants, right, or African descendants, and and that's tricky, right? That means that every, you know, two percent of the total population, right, something like uh, two out of every one hundred people would identify as or consider themselves to be Afro, Afro descendants, but but that's a tricky sort of conversation, right? And I'll give you an example of of why I was I was a part of a of a of a symposium. And there was an activist there from Mexico, and they explained that they considered themselves to be uh, Afro-descendant, but they didn't consider themselves to be Black or Afro-Mexican. And when asked why, the reason was is that they saw it as part of their history, as part of their culture, right? But they didn't perceive themselves and were not perceived by others to be Black, right? And so they, they reserved that space of Black or Negro or even Afro-Mexican, right, for other folks right, that were either perceived by other people or perceived themselves to be black. So the question then is in that 2.5 million, right, how many folks actually perceive themselves or would be perceived to be by others to be black? And and could that number be larger, right? Because even folks who are perceived by others to be black might not, right, identify as being black or African descendant, right? So that number is a, is a bit skewed. and And I think the questions around blackness in Mexico allow it to be sort of skewed, right? So you've got a whole bunch of what you know most people would consider non-black folks, right? The ability now to claim Afro descendants or Af, uh, Afro, descend- Afro Afro descendants without having to be able to put themselves in that position of of blackness, right? Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a tricky it's a tricky question.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the long.
1: The... That's the long answer, I guess.
0: <laughs> oh no, that's that's great. I mean, it's the perpetual, I think, struggle in Latin America, and it sounds like Mexico is not different. But then it has its own particularities, right? Um, right. So yeah. yeah,
1: and and then and then I think the last part of your question was how did how did you know black folks arrive in Mexico, right? And 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 the answer I think there is 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 rather obvious. Um, and it doesn't seem as seem as obvious for a place like Mexico, right? But they they arrived as enslaved labor, right? They they arrived in in the early part of the colonial moment, right? To to do a lot of the work, right? That, um, you know, Spanish folks and and other folks wanted, you know, wanted them to do to build, right, the colony. So.
0: Yeah, no, I'm glad that you either you said that one time. Someone asked me in Brazil, "How did uh?" how did, how did black people get to Brazil? They were like, was it through migration? And I had to say, no, no, it was, it was slavery, like, you know, like in the United States. And so I I just never think it's a, it's, you you can't say too much sometimes about, about, you know, what happens in different countries and these historical processes and whatnot.
1: Well, if you, if you ask a lot of Mexicans today, right, about, and, and if, if they're aware of black folks in Mexico, their, their understanding is that they come from Cuba. So immigration is is the obvious answer to them, right? Because there was no slavery supposedly in Mexico and these kinds of things, because it's just not a part of the the education, right? And so, so it, you know that that idea of immigration, right, is something that it, it seems obvious, right? It seems that that's got to be the answer, right? And Cuba then is the obvious place for that immigration, but but it's it's not the case, right? For the majority of Black folks in Mexico, it's not the case.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Um, so I was going to take you more into this process of recognition that you said that the you know which is what the, the book is about. Um, and so in the book, like there's this constant disjuncture between the state wanting to recognize blackness and how activists wanted it recognized. Um, and this really comes to the fore in chapter three, where you accompany these consultas, I think they're called, um, and they're they're like doing the work of making blackness present. Um, And so this was really fascinating to me because at least in the United States, for example, you know, and even in Brazil, I think, um, you know, there's this idea of like what blackness means, how to count it, how to recognize it, even if it's contested. Um, But in Mexico, like you're working with people at the ground level with the government trying to figure out how to recognize blackness. And so what prompted the government to even just begin this endeavor? And, you know, how how were they trying to recognize blackness?
1: yeah so so I, I think talking to some of the activists some of the activists suggested the year of the afro uh, of the african descendant right the the un i want to say in in 2011 um they 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 decided that i think it was 2011 would be the year of the afro descendant right and so the activists and and, and this might sort of be i don't know cynical or, or or skeptical right but i but i think it's it's true the activists argued that that was sort of the motivation, right? That this gave Mexico the opportunity to demonstrate to the world, right? That they were uh, on board with the mission of human rights and these kinds of things. And, and black people had been in Mexico, had been pushing for, for, for quite a while, right. To, to, to get this conversation going, but it seemed like that year of, of the year of African descent and the UN declaration, right. Made it the perfect time to do that, right. To then, you know, Broadcast, broadcast this project internationally, right?
0: And then, how how were they trying to recognize blackness? What were some of the disjunctures that you were seeing with the with the consultas and in this process True. of trying to to recognize it?
1: So, so the 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 CDI, basically the the Commission for Indigenous Development uh, in in Mexico, had undertaken a project. I want to say in the in the nineties. Um, where they were actually cataloging right indigenous cultural elements, and they were they were putting these things on paper, and they had this this booklet, um, you know, it must be twelve pages at least, twelve to fifteen pages, and they had this booklet of all of these different categories, right? Economy, um, um, uh, other sort of you know religious uh, activities, right? All of these anthropological right uh, categories, right, that allowed them to recognize these groups and then say, Hey, and that's how this group is different from another indigenous group. So, so the CDI actually took that booklet, right. And applied it then to black communities in Mexico, or at least there, there in the Costa Chica while I was there. And, and the issue was then is that a lot of these sort of categories or themes didn't necessarily apply to, to black folks in Mexico at the time. Right. And that's one of the interesting thing, things that's starting to change now, because now you have young activists who are actually looking towards Africa and other places and they're incorporating these things right into the sort of cultural repertoire, right, as a way to represent themselves or, 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 or present themselves as different right within the racial and ethnic landscape of, of Mexico. But at this time, right, the, the those things didn't necessarily apply. To black folks, so they said, "Hey, well, what kind of, you know, what kind of religion do you practice?" And they said, "Oh, well, we're Catholics, right?" And they said, "Okay, well, what kind of language do you speak?" They said, "Oh, well, we speak Spanish, right?" And all, all of these things seem to miss, right, the, the 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 point of 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 blackness in Mexico. But still, they 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 did these things, um, and they and they began to collect, right, this sort of cultural rep, repertoire, right, that that would allow them to say, "This is how you can recognize black folks in Mexico." And, and so then the, it, it really was a cultural project, right? And rather than focus on, on issues of, you know, exclusion and discrimination and, and, and you know, perhaps you know, education, poverty, these kinds of things, what they really wanted to do was recognize Black folks as a distinct cultural group, right? And so, so that really laid the foundation, I think, for the language that the activists and other people could actually rely on to then begin to negotiate with the government and talk about themselves and represent themselves to the nation, and so now you know, ten years later, you can see the impacts, uh, the 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 impacts that that project of recognition has actually had on the ways in which people are are talking about blackness in Mexico or the language right for the representation of blackness. What, one of the one of the I think best examples is is the switch from negro to Afro Mexican. Right, I think that's that's a that that's a that's a, a really strong example that that has become part of the language now, right? That even activists are using when they talk about themselves as as Black Mexicans.
0: And so, in the book, um, you include in chapter five um, narratives from individual Afro Mexicans. And I get this question about my research in Brazil a lot, and people ask me, "What does it mean to be Black in Brazil?" And so one thing I found that was interesting about blackness in Mexico is that it doesn't seem to include this awareness of being part of like the larger African diaspora. Um, and so I wondered, um, so that was one of the, the things I took that was really interesting. Um, but, but what did, did, blackness mean, um, to your participants, um, in, in the, in your
1: research? So, so I think at the time, and I, and I would say that this is still true. I think, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. I think at the time, uh, the idea of blackness in Mexico was sort of local right it, it was, it was it was Blackness for these folks was a, a, a way of being Mexican right and, and, and a way that sort of uh, to articulate that right is, is I, I met some folks in in the Costa Chica and they they asked me where I was from right and I told them you know about my, my father's family's journey from the south to Chicago to California. And, and somebody said, yeah, but I bet your grandmother was from Mexico, right? And, and every time I would, would, would talk to folks, they would try to figure, figure out a way to situate my Blackness, right, in Mexico, which then allowed them to keep that sort of local understanding of, of what Blackness was, right? And, and, and the way that I see that is at the time, the diaspora, right, wasn't necessarily a, a tool, right, that these folks needed to, to draw on. Right. But more and more, the diaspora is becoming more and more, uh, more and more important right, to the ways in which people are representing themselves. And to see that process right, sort of take shape over the last 10 years, I think, has been ha- has has been interesting. But, but, but I think that the activists and I think a lot of people, right, because there's a difference uh, between the way that sort of you know, these activists who have been educated in a particular way are representing themselves in, in the ways that they identify in the projects, right, that they're trying to engage in. There's a difference between that and the way in which your, you know, average sort of local Black Mexican from, from a small rural town, right, might imagine themselves, right, and and, and their, their place in the world. And so I think that the, the activists have sort of become savvy at speaking right, different languages, right, or, or or engaging in different registers around Blackness, right. And so they can speak the, the in the diasporic context, but then in a more local context, right, they can then talk in, in that way. Um, but, but I don't know that other folks sort of, you know, what we might just say, the sort of general, right, uh, community folks, are engaging in that diasporic sort of conversation quite yet but but they are definitely engaging in the cultural conversation and they're different, defi- definitely especially in places where tourism is big right they're trying to figure out a way to represent their communities through this cultural context that then uh creates some value that tourists tourists can then um um so, some somehow engage in right or, or somehow consume i guess i would say not not to be cynical but
0: yeah, no, and I think that actually kind of takes me to the next question this question of like representation um, and and the kinds of ideas that people have about blackness, um, because I wanted to ask you about the cover of the book. Um, I thought the book was just stunning. Uh, it was really like stuck out quite a bit. Um, it has this like black and white wood carving on the cover and it's like a looks like a woman, um, you know, and it's like her from her profile. Um, and it's uh, and it's. Called La Negra, and it's by I'm not sure if I'm going to say her name right, Idi uh, Rodriguez Lopez, and um, I thought it was just interesting given the the context of what you talk about um, because because of all these questions about people trying to determine what constitutes Black culture in Mexico, um, and so I wondered if you could talk about the cover of the book in relationship to the to the book um, to the arguments and and the material in the book.
1: Yeah, sure. I, I think the, the the cover of the book I think sort of in, in some ways is 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 a contradiction, right? To to the argument I'm making in the book because the cover might make someone seem or, or someone feel, right, that uh, it might make it seem that that there is this or was this particular representation of blackness at the time, right? Um, but but of course that there were artists and activists, right, who were engaged in in that project of trying to you know uh, uh, reach out to to younger folks and and people in the community. To embrace their their own blackness, right? To 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 sort of revalue, I think, uh, uh, their their blackness in the context of of the region and 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 the nation and those kinds of things. And so, day then is is one of those artists slash activists who's been engaged in that kind of work for a long time. And in the book, I, I you know share one of her narratives, and 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 she. She told me that when she was when she was a, a kid, right, people would sort of laugh at her for being so dark, right, and 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 then she began to paint, and she would paint these figures, right, that looked like her and and, and other folks in the community, and even the black folks in the community would tell her, hey, why do you paint those negatives, right? They're they're just they're so ugly and these kinds of things, and so I, they really took it upon herself, right, to incorporate these kinds of themes into into her art. Um, she she has a, a a painting of what's called the uh, naufragio the uh, the middle passage, um, and that middle passage then is, is one of the pictures that I was hoping would be on the cover. But I think the I think the the representat- not that, how do I say this the actual painting itself right um, wasn't as as bright and as as uh, as uh, what's the word maybe in focus right? As, as the actual wood carving. I was trying to find a way to add all of those things to to the cover. Um, but, I, I, but I also thought that the cover actually represented the ways in which people imagine, right? Or would like to see, right? And so that's kind of a trick then, right? You see this thing that you think might be, right? You know, specifically about uh, this group of people when actually it's about the process, right? That goes into producing those folks, right, that goes into producing this particular um, social location, I guess I would say.
0: Yeah, I think the theme of like of disjuncture comes out in the in the book too, um, in the in the cover as well. I was I was thinking that I was glad. So you confirmed what I was thinking, which is yeah. the, the contradiction between the cover and the argument. Um, and I, I saw the you know the narrative in there too, and I was like, one would one would look at the cover and think, oh, this is like kind of an ethnography of of black culture, but it, but as you said, it's it's not. It's it's an ethnography of the production of the category of blackness or the recognition of it. Um,
1: yeah. And and I'm, and I'm really glad that that came through because at the time that I was doing the work, it, my my intention was to do that ethnography of culture of of a of a of a black group, right? Of a of a cultural group. And and I found that that ethnography at that time was impossible to do, right? Because because it had yet to really sort of begin to exist, right? In in in, in the same way. And and don't get me wrong, there's some there's some folks who have tried to do that work. Um Beltran is one back in 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 the you know 40s 50s and those kinds of things um but but to try to do that you know in in 2010 or, or you know 2005 or whatever else i think it it Beltran had on his own problems and i think those same problems existed and, and it, it pushed me away from that strategy right and and so i'm glad you recognize that with the cover because it's what you think you're going to read is not what you get right <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: Definitely. And what you what you get is, is something um, obviously equally, if not more interesting where because you're you're following these people around trying to figure out how, as you as you just gave the example of how to how to count and um, how to how to make it, you know, make it known. Um, and so and as you, you just said that you um, that you were you were talking to people and. Telling them your story. And so you're you're actually a constant presence in the book. The book is very ethnographic. Um, as you just said, you are an ethnographer. And I know people will enjoy that as they read the book, um, the kind of, you know, detail that you get and how you are also there as well. Um, and we're, you know, following you through the book. And so, you know, sometimes people are like perplexed by you, they're confused about where you're from. And as, as you just gave that example, they think you're from like either the United States or Central America or Africa. Um, and so I wondered what was it like doing this ethnographic research? Um, can you share any challenges or opportunities um, from doing the fieldwork?
1: Sure. I think that the real challenge was sort of, you know, what I, what I would refer to as sort of locating Blackness right in the area, right? And... And, and, and what I found is, is as I said, I arrived intending to do that ethnography, right? Asking people about being Black and all of these great things that would show me, right, what it meant to be Black in in, in, in Mexico. And and I realized that the challenge was locating that anywhere. People would sort of deflect that and they would push it, right, somewhere else. And they would say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm Black. But if you really want to talk to Black folks, right, if you really want to talk to negros. You've got to go to the next community. And then and then those folks would push me to the next community and so on and so on. And then it would be this circular process, right? You'd have to start over because somebody told you go back to where, where you had started, right? And and so the challenge was then to to think about how it was that I could could conduct an ethnography not of a thing, right? Or a people, but an actual process, an actual political process that was that was underway at the time. And so trying to figure out how to switch from documenting the thing to really focusing on the process, right, that is the starting point of a thing or the production of something, right, was, was, was the real challenge. Um, and, and, I, and I'm glad I had to work that out, right, sort of there in the field. Um, it, it, it wasn't a part of sort of the methodologies that I had been trained in or that I had figured out, you know. I thought after writing grants and these kinds of things were, were going to be useful to me, you know. And so and so getting there and trying to figure out how to then sort of you know craft, right, this methodology that could allow me to focus on the process was was the real was the real issue for me.
0: Yeah, that's really important to I think to share and to talk about because those are some of the things that ethnographers have to deal with on the ground, right, is that you might have these challenges thrown at you in the moment, and you have to pivot, and you have to, like, shift things around on on the spot and yeah. figure it out as you go along. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting, right, because as, you know, as someone who works with, with graduate students, you know, we, we teach our students, right, or, or we, we, we require our students to have this idea of a project, and then we require them to write a methodology section on something they really don't know. Enough about right, and so then getting to this particular place and finding right that they don't necessarily know right what they were going to find then requires that you go back to the drawing board, and and I think most of us probably experience that, but for some reason we still teach it in a way that's like, mm-hmm. you know that's about knowing right, and then and then coming up with this this draft that may not serve you right.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and knowing when to pivot and how to pivot and the kind of anxiety that can come with that, right? Because yes. you don't know, is this is this a thing? Is this going to work out? Is this, should, should I shift my project completely? to? So there's all these questions around it. Um, yep. Yeah. And,
1: and we don't teach that part, I guess, is, is maybe, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe something we can focus on a little more, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's, it's important. I, that's why one of the reasons I like this podcast is because you hear these background stories that you don't, you would never, you wouldn't know this, you know, from reading the book. Um, so it's just important, I think, to share these kinds of things. Um, And so also, so you mentioned, well, you just talked about teaching students. And so you mentioned in the book that you brought students to Mexico to learn about, I think, Afro-Mexican cooking and culinary traditions. Um, And so I wanted to ask how you teach students about Afro-Mexico in this material, um, either through the study abroad or even just in in your classrooms um, in the United States.
1: Yeah, I I I think for me, the the study abroad or, or taking, you know, the students... To, to those communities, I think for me is, is a real, um, I don't see myself as a teacher, right? And I, I don't wanna tell them things and I don't want them to, you know, necessarily get information from me. I see it as an opportunity to sort of show, right? An, an opportunity to collaborate, an opportunity to participate um, in, in this process of, of seeking, right, of, of knowledge production, I guess, or one part of that process of knowledge production. And so I think what, what I what I do with the students is I try to use it as an opportunity to ask questions and to sort of get rid of some of the, you know, the, the quote unquote facts, right, that they operate around. And so, you know, taking students to Mexico um, when they think they know everything there is to know, right, about Mexico and then introducing them to these the, the, the activists and the folks working in these communities and the surrounding, I think, you know, it it puts them in a position to have to ask just like I did when I got there, why, how, you know? And, and I think that right there is really the, is really the sort of space of learning, right? That I, that I, that I try to engage in uh, on these, on these trips with the students. Um, And it's, it's been, it's been, it's been interesting. I've got a couple of students who are, are writing their dissertations now, um, in in or on and in Oaxaca, um, and I think they've they've sort of taken that approach as well, right? And so it's allowed them to really sort of ask some some questions that might not have been possible um, without that 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 process of interrogation. I think that that the study abroad really allows for. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and Mexico is obviously our neighbor to the south, and we feel, especially in Southern California, we feel like we know so much about it, and um, and we, we we do. We we get a lot of culture crossing the border, but there's still things that we don't know, right? There's still
1: yeah, and, and, asked and so many and I'm so I'm so glad you bring that up because mm-hmm. one one of the things that I'm trying to figure out now, right, is that because we're so close to Mexico and because there is this relationship, right, and and this sort of uh, sort of give and take back and forth, right, it, it really seems to me that the recognition of blackness in Mexico, right, historically and in the present, right, actually has some potential to impact, right, the idea of Mexicanness in the United States. And so I'm really interested to see sort of what, you know, Mexicans from the United States, right, Mexican Americans are going to do with that information. And how is that information then going to Push them or not to reimagine their own identities, right? Uh, especially in this this sort of the the, the idea that, that blackness and Mexicanness are mutually exclusive, right? So so for example, in in, in the in in the Southwest, and maybe you know, sort of when when someone is supposedly half Mexican and half black, right? There's this term that people use called uh, Black right? And 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 recognizing that blackness has always been a part of Mexicanness. Right makes that term sort of absurd, right? It's it's only within the context of the of of the idea the the mutual exclusivity of blackness and Mexicanness that that term makes sense, right? So I'm wondering then, how is it that the work on Black Mexico is going to impact right an understanding of Mexicanness even beyond right uh, the nation or or, or the, the you know Mexico as a country?
0: No, mm-hmm. oh, absolutely. Um... Yeah, no. It sounds like there's a lot, a lot opening up. I think, Um, and as you said, with this, with the UN, with the year of the Afro descendant, and like the, like black cultural politics and racial politics on a global scale is, paving these new pathways. I think in different places that are only gonna take us to new, you know, new findings. Um. So the so this is my I guess uh, second to last question. Um. But blackness in Mexico is your first book, I think, which so congratulations on that. And um, I wondered if you could share any insights into the process of moving from dissertation to the first book. Um, and like, for example, was there anything you wish you had known before the process? Or is there any advice that you would offer anyone uh, beginning their first book journey now?
1: Sure. Yeah, I think I think the first thing to, to know, right, and if, if I would have known... Um, it, it, that, that would have been helpful is, is I think the fact that, the, you know, the press isn't going to publish your dissertation. Right. And so the question then is how do you write this dissertation that's going to turn into a book, right? But how is it that you write the dissertation um, with that in mind, right? With the, with, with the understanding that, okay, this is the dissertation draft and then I'm eventually going to have to figure out how to turn this into something that the press will publish that is, uh, 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 in a lot of ways, a completely different thing than what I'm writing now, right? So, so one of the things is I, I came up with this title to really sort of, you know, uh, sort of capture the process. I felt that I was, I was, I was involved in in in, in the project, and so I, I I titled the dissertation "Chasing Blackness," right? Because I really thought that's what was going on. That's what I was doing. That's what the government was doing. That's what black activists and these kinds of things were doing, right? They were chasing this thing, right? And, and it was sort of elusive because it would always move. And, and there were all these reasons, right? And competing reasons, right? That we were all sort of chasing this thing. And so I thought that really captured the process. And then I find out that the, the press says, no, no, we can't use that as the title because the dissertation is, is you know, has the same title. And we don't publish dissertations. And that would, you know, that's against our policy and whatever. So they allowed me to name to to the first chapter. They allowed me to use the title "Chasing Blackness," and, and it worked as a methodology, right? But but I, but I think that after it was said and done, right? I, I think if I would have known that, I probably would have held that back, you know, a, a little bit, right? So I could really explore that as the as the book title. Um, and and then for me, I think the the other part is is trying to figure out you know, where it and what conversations is the book going to be situated? Right? And sometimes I think we try to do maybe too much. Right? And trying to figure out how I was going to situate a book um, within Mexican studies within the work on Oaxaca, but also think about black study, right? And also think about, you know, uh, having a conversation with black folks, right, Was was I I, th- I think I, I would have benefited from from being able to to really think about the the contradictions between those spaces a little more early on in the project. And so it was something that I had to do later on. Um, and and I still don't know if I was successful, you know, but, but but we'll see.
0: Yeah, I think you I think you were quite successful, and that was really interesting to, to share that you couldn't use the the title of the book. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was the same as a dissertation. I had no idea that that was a thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's just with, with with Florida, but but um but you know I've heard over and over again that, you know, the the first thing that a lot of the presses say is we don't publish dissertations, right? So I've been working with my own students to say, hey, the dissertation is its own thing. And you're gonna write that dissertation, but remember you're gonna turn this into a book, right? And and hopefully if that's the direction there. And if they're still going to publish books, on you know, <laughs> so so you know, hopefully that's the goal. And so thinking about that now, I think is something I try to you know put on their radar at least.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and sometimes people give the advice like write your dissertation like a book, but and so sometimes people try to do that, but usually it's it just is almost impossible to do that. And so and as you said, if the press is saying we're not going to pub, we don't publish dissertations, then. That, that leaves you yeah.
1: in a bind, right? So. Yeah, absolutely. Then you've done yourself a disservice, right? And so I think write the best dissertation you can write, right, would be my advice to myself then, right? But remember that this dissertation is not going to be the book. So so don't think you're just going to, you know, push the one thing right into the next, right? So
0: Yeah, that's great advice. Um, and so now that uh, blackness in Mexico is out into the world, um, what is your next project that you're working on, or what are you what are you thinking about working on? What's on the horizon for you uh, in the future?
1: Yeah, so so in in 2016 I I, I took a was it 20 no it maybe 2016 or 2015 but I took a group of students down to Oaxaca and we started collecting uh, these recipes um, and some some of them are, are culinary recipes other ones are sort of remedies right. Um, and we came back, you know, I had this whole uh, list of recipes and I talked to some people in other communities and and they said, yeah, those aren't black recipes because we make those things too, right? And so one of the questions I had is, is how is it that blackness will be sort of incorporated into, right? The sort of uh, general Mexican, right? Cultural uh, repertoire, right? And so what, I, what, I, what I'm working on now is trying to figure out how to incor- incorporate these recipes as an example, right, to talk about how it is that Black folks can represent themselves, right, as Mexican, um, and and how it is that non-Black Mexicans might be willing or not, right, to accept, right, their the, the idea of Blackness as being part of their own culture, right, their own histories, the things that they've taken for granted all along as being non-Black, right, and so so that work then requires that, or I think it does. First of all, it requires sort of an interrogation in anthropology's role um, in sort of this process of cultural recognition, right? This process of creating categories and, and making distinct groups of group of peoples and those kinds of things. But it also then I think requires that I do some work in the Southwest to think about how it is that Mexican identities have been produced here, right? Specifically as non-black, right? And to think about then what it would mean then for, you know, uh, uh, uh a non-Black Mexican in the United States, right, to think about the fact that Black folks in Mexico claim these same recipes as part of their cultural heritage, right, as part of their traditions, right, as part of their uh, their ways of being, right, and and so thinking about then what that's going to mean, I think, is 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 the next project, so.
0: That is, that's great, and so we will be on the lookout for that, a Black food project, but in Mexico, that is that's yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. Um, that's great. So I have been talking to Dr. Anthony Russell Jerry, who is the author of the book Blackness in Mexico, Afro-Mexican Recognition and the Production of Citizenship in the Costa Chica, published by the University Press of Florida. Thank you so much, Dr. Jerry, for talking with us on the podcast and for writing this book.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been fun.